This is a Stand Up New York Labs production, providing you podcasts since 2013. Hey everybody, Raylan Casper White here, coming to you with another episode of X-Ray. I'm still in this lovely apartment in Tel Aviv, which has been a bastion of wine and intercourse and, and knowledge that I've acquired through all my amazing interviews. I'm on a street called Michal Street. The, 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 everything is very guttural. Everything is flammy. It's Michal, Michal Street, right? And one of the nicer streets in Tel Aviv. Even though some of the buildings look like slums, apartments here are still over $1 million. doesn't make sense. But it's like Manhattan. It's like an island only surrounded by people that want it destroyed. I am here with Chen. It's written Chen. Uh, Chen alone, he is the Israeli side of the Combatants for Peace, the organization that I, I interviewed, uh, Suli Khatib, from this amazing nonviolent peace activism organization. But he's the Jewy side. So I'm here to talk to him because we got the Palestinian side. I want to talk about the Israeli side. Uh, so please, uh, let's just start with, um, obviously your name is Chen alone. You live in Tel Aviv. How did you get involved with that organization? What kind of, how did it, how was it born? Uh, it was born actually from my um, military service, but uh, if you want to go deeper, always, always deeper. Always okay, deep. so <laughs> it so let's start with the Holocaust. Okay. That's it's that's uh, deep. Okay. It's deep enough. Yeah, pretty deep. Okay, so my grandfather was the only one of his family who uh, was smart enough because he was Zionist. He left Europe and he went to Palestine. Back this is before Hitler took over. That's right. No, after Hitler took over, but he was in Poland. So in okay. mid-30s, he came here, and um, he was uh, smart enough. He, didn't, he, he was um, avoiding the Holocaust, and then he was the only one from his family who survived the Holocaust. So he left on his own. All the family was like, no, we're staying here. We're going to be fine. We have good locks on the doors. That's right. And then my father grew up with this, you know, this... Uh, uh, idea that because his father was Zionist, that saved our family, and I grew up the same. So I wanted to become a soldier. I wanted to save the only shelter that the Jews has have in the world, which at the, was was legitimate. Yeah, it yeah. was, and it's partly true. But then I found out when I joined the army, like I wanted to to walk in my uh, father's footsteps, uh, that I'm not guarding and watching uh, the only shelter of the Jewish people, but. Um, I'm um, doing, I'm imposing military uh, regime on Palestinians in the occupied territories. Because I joined the army in the very same day, we, c we could say, that the first intifada uh, started. Which was what, like 86 or something? 87. I'm good, right? Look at that. I'm not as ignorant as people think. <laughs> Don't be fooled. So, okay, so once you got, okay, so prior to that, obviously people in the military that were fighting for the um fighting in the wars when you know Israel was attacked and 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 kind of literally fighting for the existence of the country but once you got into the army you were disillusioned by saying that I'm not fighting for the existence of the country anymore I'm actually doing harm as is, is what you felt yeah although the fuel of the holocaust and the never again and all the history of my family and the, you know the education system here and everything so the justification is so um, strong so this uh, uh, dilemma that uh, I, w I grew up with, and for one, on, on one hand, I really was really con deeply connected to the history of my family and my people and the justification of the never again and the shelter that we have to protect ourselves and so on. And on the other hand, I, what I see with my eyes and I do with my body is um, I'm, I'm invading Palestinian houses in the middle of the night. I'm chasing children who are throwing stones and... 
So something is, uh, you know, something is not integrated in what I do. Okay, but to some extent you did, um, are you boiling hot? I know it's hot in here. It's hot. I had to turn the AC off. It's hot as balls. But I think it creates a nice Middle Eastern feel. But to some extent, now I get what you're saying, but to some extent there's that dilemma because you are also, um, it's not a great relationship between you and there is some sort of protective mechanism you are trying to provide. People are trying to infiltrate. I know there there were times when there were suicide bombings or People can get, you know what I mean? So there, there is obviously some sort of war, even though it's people don't see the sides as equal, but there is a battle that you are trying to protect Israeli citizens yeah, from. And that's exactly what we're trying to do in Combatants for Peace, not to be stuck in this zoom-in of, uh, yeah, there are uh, suicide attacks, there is this, there is that. If you are always stuck in this situation and you're never uh, able to zoom out and to see, okay, let's, let's not... Not th- let's not be addicted to this uh, zero-sum game, but ask not who is right and who is wrong, but what we can do together. And then we find out that uh, it's not that my narrative is uh, um, canceling Suli's narrative, and it's not that his is canceling mine, but we can actually together, through the dialogue and through the nonviolent struggle against the occupation, which is violent um, oppression of the Palestinian, the military regime, if we do that together, we're dialoguing and at the same time non-violently uh, struggling against the occupation, we're able to, um, to create a third narrative, which is not either or, but it's um, something that we can present and uh, exist together. And that's, a, it's a, that's really unique, um, something that is quite difficult to explain to people or to share with people. Because it's not the binary of either or that we are all, you know, uh, addicted addict to uh, this zero-sum game. It's interesting because I'm a humanist and I, you know, I, I like to care about everybody. But I, I'm, you know, I've been confused. It's been hard for me to kind of process all this information. But what's interesting is I get that Israel is still fighting for its existence, even though the, narr- the global narrative, you know what I mean? It's, it's tricky, right? Because we are dealing with professional victims, professional aggressors. Like, that's kind of how people categorize things, right? Like, who's more powerful? Who's the bully? But, but what's, what's curious to me... You if you think that the U.S. is still exist, uh, f- uh, struggling and, ex- and fighting for its existence? If the U.S. is still fighting for its... Well, I think the U.S. is fighting for its moral existence. I mean, it's lost its, its way. And the U.S. is so tricky because it's a... It's a conglomerate of, of, of immigrants and people that have come in based on ideas, and, and ideas are what keep them together. People don't share the same idea. There's no ethnic, there's no sense of national unity except over ideas. And now that it's so splintered, it's hard to feel a connection to somebody. Same here. I don't think we are under any um, threat or existential, uh, uh, under a th- uh, existential threat. You don't? No, absolutely no. I think we are, that's why I gave, I... I gave the example of the U.S., you know, according to um, um, international media, we have nuclear weapon and, uh, you know, all these superpowers are behind us. And if you really look at the, at, the, at the Middle East, Israel is not under existential threat. I guess I have, I try and be an p- optimist, but sometimes I imagine this, this world where in about 50 or 100 years, where the Holocaust survivors are all gone and, and, and people are not going to be as well-versed and may, the deniers are going to be more prominent, they might see it as a failed experiment. And I also see that the U.S. regime, what if the U.S., because we can't, you know, 
Israel can't rely on, on China or Russia for funding. And I think that, what, you know, who knows who's going to be in power in the U.S. in 50 years, and they're going to say, sorry, we're not sending any more money to funding. And so I think it is still precarious. I think now it's, you know, that it was precarious when it started, right? And then something happened, I guess, after 73 maybe, after the war in 73, where it stopped looking as, you know, like as a progressive. Existential threat. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and now, again, I don't know. I mean, now you have a, a society that's doing well. I'm looking at all these entrepreneurs and stuff. But there's also a brain drain, right? A lot of these Israelis are leaving to pursue you know, success elsewhere. And I think that the desire, like even you said, you came in as an idealist and you got disillusioned. So I'm sure that happens to a lot of people that end up, they don't want to sacrifice their life for this idea, right? I mean, I look at soldiers in the U.S. and I feel so bad because these are people that are even not even on their land and fighting and they're getting sent all over the fucking place, right? I mean, Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam, and they're fighting... Gaza, that's the same. We're fighting on, on a land that is not ours, and we know it's occupied. I mean, formal, f- f- um, 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 it is occupied even by the international law and by the Israeli law. I mean, we, we didn't, um, you said, confiscate it or annex the, the land yet. Mm-hmm. So under our law, we are on, we are f- most of the power that we are um, um, uh, putting in the West Bank and through Gaza, around Gaza, is on a land that we don't claim to be ourselves. Right. Well, yeah, but I mean, obviously it's a matter of spectrum. I'm talking about sending people, you know, to another country. Ocean, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the same country, whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's like yeah. sending the difference. So that's, I think it's different. I think it's challenging. Maybe it's easier because you do believe in the idea, but nobody even, seen, people know we fought for oil. Nobody's fighting for spreading democracy around the world, whatever. But... I do believe, um, I, you know, I had this guy on last week um, talking about BDS and how he's trying to, uh, his struggle is, is fighting between legitimate criticism of Israeli policies and the delegitimization of Israel as a state, in which BDS, he says, does that and doesn't, and kind of clouds this idea of being able to, to legitimately criticize policies. And, that's, and it was very interesting. He also said, because I told him about encounters in Suli and how I believe that teaching each other's narratives, you know, will help understanding. And while he agreed with that, he said that's not going to be this recipe to solving the conflict because there's also so much, and Suli said this too, so much geographical and structural diversity within the Palestinian community that they're not on the same page. So how the, you know what I mean? So how are you even going to come to any sort of agreement when you don't even know here too, but they're, that side too, they're not all looking for the same thing. And there's Gaza and there's the West Bank and there's, you know, Hamas and Fatah. So until that gets settled... That's also, I think, no one's going to achieve anything. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think, I mean, you gave the example of the BDS as, uh, I think that's the best example or this guy that you were talking about saying either you are um, against Israel or for Israel. And this is, these are the kind of binaries that we are trying to uh, challenge. Not to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an Israeli Jew. I don't, have a, I don't think that it will be smart and uh, to um, to say I, whether I'm for or against the BDS. So so do Suli because we are working together. We are partners. So BDS is a tactical tool. It's not the vision, right? Nobody's vision. If someone's vision is to boycott or uh, uh, to ban someone, this is you know it's very short term uh, um, um, vision. So tactical uh, a tool should be should be applied in a wise way. That means that you choose the arena, you choose the timing where to where to use this tool. But people are so, you know, they are so desperate now 
there is despair and pe- hopelessness. So people want say, we'll do the BDS and then we will succeed. We'll do this and then we will win. And that's very childish. What, what we are doing in Combatants for Peace is we say, we don't do, um, we don't say this is the way to bring an end to the occupation or that's the way to bring. And we, we've learned that around the world. We've been to uh, South Africa and to the Balkans and to uh, North Ireland. And when we met people from different struggles, like, you know, the um, people who were against um, 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 uh, joining the, the South African um, army or people in, the, in, in Ireland who were doing in this movement or that movement, they all say, each movement will say after the occupation will, will come to an end, they will say, it's because of us. We, we brought an end to the occupation. The BDS movement will say, we brought an end to the occupation. But the idea is that it should be creative and very um, with a variety of tactical tools, variety of strategies, and uh, different, you know, some, some podcast uh, against the occupation, some BDS, some nonviolent struggle, some theater for dialogue, some many, many things, demonstrations, direct actions. Um, and it, it creates a big picture of resistance and of unity of people who are resisting to oppression. And that's that what will bring an end to the to the conflict. Do you because um, obviously I know you came from, you know, you were like this refusenik in the army, right? You founded this kind of group of soldiers who refused, which caused I'm sure caused also some internal dilemmas inside you at the time or still do. But do you also uh, in your work hold people accountable on both sides or it's not even about that you're like it's not it's obviously when i say accountable it's coming to the palestinian community and saying what can you do instead of just pointing fingers or saying you know what i mean we're just victims saying wait a minute that's not helpful anymore because there's two sides here it takes two to tango right it takes two to fucking tango so what work and tell me i also want to hear about the theater that you said the theater for the oppressed uh, i want to talk about augusto boal is that where that comes from um, so, d- what kind of work do you guys do that actually holds the other side accountable, and how do you work through resistance on the Palestinian side of saying, "Look, you guys are also accountable," because that doesn't fit it, you know, that doesn't j- that 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 rubs them the wrong way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I, uh, that's the paradigm of combatants for peace. What you were actually defining now is that we're not uh, uh, blaming each other, we're not accusing each other, we're not uh, demanding things from the other side, and so on. The deep uh, partnership, and I would say now after 15 years of combatants for peace, the deep brotherhood uh, is based on the fact that we're looking inside ourselves and we are taking responsibility both sides. So I'm not going to Suli and say, do you condemn this terror attack? Do you condemn, do you consider this as violence or so on? But no, this is not how we do it because that's, that's, um, um, will be um, uh, a failure, you know, because after uh, one day in the re- in our reality, both if you don't take responsibility on your side, you you are it's the easiest thing is to to blame the other. So what we are trying to do is to embody uh, this vision, to embody uh, I would say this nonviolent culture as we call it, the binational nonviolent culture, is that. I'm not blaming. If there is something wrong within the Palestinian society in terms of violence or even um, women discrimination, which is not part of the occupation, I'm not the one to talk about women's situation in Palestine. Suli should do that. So if we're all responsible enough to say, 
Suli should not condemn this or condemn that. I will do that in the Israeli side. He will do that in the Palestinian side. That creates the um, honesty and the trust that we can build a real partnership and a culture upon. Well, how do you uh, how do you change hearts and minds of people that are feeling again, you know, maybe more right wing or the Palestine, you know, or Suli's trying to change mind? Because it is, I mean, I find that impossible. I, you know, I talk to people all the time, and people's minds are made up, and and people are going to say, you know, fuck nonviolence. Like, wh- what is that going to help us? We're not a bunch of Tibetans in Dharamsala, and look at them; they're not living in their own country. They're still nonviolent, living in Dharamsala and hanging out with Richard Gere. So, how do you? What's the tactic to really be able, or is there a tactic, or do you just say, no, we're just working on the undecided, working on people that are that are still in that debate or that inner, you know, inner dilemma? Because is it possible, do you think, to really change people's minds? If someone's, you know, grandparents were Holocaust survivors and they do believe in, in the, the necessity of, a, is, you know, a Jewish state, and they do believe that they had no alternative, you know, uh, where, you know this, is, this is no other choice right now in their mind, right? That this is, we're trying to protect our citizens. I care about human rights, but I care more about, you know, my family, and this is our country. We have nowhere to go. Look at anti-Semitism in France and Germany. and This is our country, and if we're not going to fight for it, it has to come at some expense, whatever that is. Obviously, they don't want to torture children, but it's not that, you know, it's more nuanced than that. How do you convert those guys? What do you say to them? I have two things to say to you, not to them. Wait, okay. uh, first of all, you're looking at a living, living example of this. I have changed my mind. I was a major in the Israeli army. I was the most Zionist, um, you know, patriot. Um, I, I still believe I am, but in a different way. But I, like, I proved it, okay, for in um, under your definition of people who have, haven't, changed their mind yet so if i did it if i went through this um, transformation i believe anyone can and that's um i know how it went uh, um how i went through this journey because i was i was a major in the israeli army and then for 10 years i served in reserve duty one month one month a year in the um, in the occupation so 11 month 11 months a year I was an actor, I was an artist, I was a humanist, I was a citizen of a democratic state. One month a year, you know, theatrically speaking, wearing the uniform, major, going for one month to become an officer of a military regime, of a military dictatorship. And I'm playing my role perfectly. I I was quite a good officer. So, and one month a year, I'm training myself to be open, to be a humanist, to be a human being, and so on, and an artist who is even um, preaching to uh, other people to do that. And one month here, I'm doing the opposite of what, I'm, what I believe in. And this crack or this situation, which, you know, as an actor, as a, as a, as a, a woman who's playing an, a, a character, you know that you're both of them right now, right? So when you start to feel the integration between you and the character or the opposite, Mm -hmm. then you start to think uh, in a critical way. So it was a process. It took me 10 years in reserve duty, 10 years uh, as a citizen, as an artist, as a father, um, to to go through this transformation. So first of all, I believe that anyone can go through a transformation. So it's not about, um, like you were defining it as like preaching to the choir or to say, you know, most of the people are just afraid for the family, so they won't change their mind. It's not true. Uh, if they are witnessing the reality or they are meeting, um, encountering the real people, the r- reality, 
they they change their minds and that's our responsibility to to help them to do that or to allow them to have even the um um the place to do that the space to do that because otherwise the all you know the media and the education system these systems are not allowing people to go through transformation they just go through the you know the indoctrination we always we give too much um um it's i think um, um um the consciousness is is overrated a little bit i'm more interested in what people do because i truly believe that most israelis and most palestinian want to live in peace and want to to have uh, normal life lives and um i think that what mo- what is most important is how the two systems the palestinian and the israeli i think the it's all around the world force people to become um passive not active so, so. Hmm? how so would, why would they be forced? just look at the you know that augusto boal you were mentioning right. he was saying that that we are all spectators in the of the reality and what we should uh, transform ourselves from spectator to actors in the realities he, he calls it spect actors like four years we are watching observing the reality other people are acting on stage doing uh, uh deciding decisions for our lives once in four years we are coming on stage becoming actors and we are putting you know we're voting that's too little so what we're trying to do that's the other answer is i'm not trying to change people's mind only but i'm trying to activate the choir so there is a big very big choir especially in my society in israel the people who are against the occupation and they are just sitting silent in their seat in this in the darkness in the th- in the theater of reality watching the op- occupation happening in the light operated by by uh, politicians by the settlers and by the people who are consider themselves as actors and they don't do anything so what we are trying to do is to activate them to say come up on stage and change the reality so how do you what how do you do that what is what's one of your techniques to actually Yeah, like do you ever go to I look at all those families that live near Gaza and those kibbutzes and they get miss you know missiles and their kids are running around to the bomb shelter and they're living with you know PTSD and they all care about their immediate you know as, as a parent I, you know, I have 34 kids but it's like your your maternal instinct is like well fuck those guys you know you're not sitting there going I get why they're doing that they're being occupied you care about well dude what the what the fuck you doing sending a missile you know what I mean and and so how do you Do you tackle those people? Do you do workshops? Who do you target? Like, who do you go to? Unless you have an encounter with, you get a mom who lost her son on the Palestinian side and a mom who lost her kid, you know, from a, a, a missile. And let's say they understand each other for a minute and they go, I empathy, even they hug it out. But it, then what? Like, because at the end of the day, you're not hanging out with Bibi having an espresso. You know what I mean? Or Mahmoud Abbas, you know what I mean? So what, go, what, what do you see happening after that? Or you don't. Maybe you're like, this is our scope. This is the work we do. We work on that level, you know. Yeah. First of all, uh, I'm not having espresso on, uh, neither with uh, Netanyahu nor with um, Abbas, and I don't think that will change anything. These bastards know what's, what's, what's going on in the reality. They don't need me yeah. to, trans- to be yes, transformed. To put sugar in their phone. Yeah. yeah. No, and not to, tra- to be transformed politically. Yeah. They know exactly what the reality is, yeah. what, what is happening, you know, yeah. and why it is happening, which is This is the answer to you. You are all the examples you gave were kind of a, you know, zoom in example of this mother here, these children here. And it's true. It's true. But that's the problem. It's not the I mean, you are 
you are presenting it at this is the end goal of how you change these minds or how you change their opinion i'm saying no this is the this is the the symptom the people think that yeah i'm under attack and there's nothing to do or i was i'm was victimized by these attacks and uh, that's the situation it's uh, i can't change it that's the problem so we're trying to change this to say okay first of all see suli and i are on the same stage we have a very long and deep and honest and trustful relationship that first of all we serve as an example you know and we are not only talking to each other love each other and okay. so on but we are all we are also taking actions together against the occupation against oppression um, um, uh, uh, gathering more people with us and so we are in a in an active mode which okay. is which is not we are victims we're under attack people want to kill us they hate us I don't hate them all this you know right, bullshit right. Yeah. so that's what we're trying and theater is a very I think it's a very special medium to do that like you are showing the um, concrete problem of people but then like Bertolt Brecht was saying you know to, to create a zoom out for the audience for the spectators first of all to see what caused these what are which what are the forces who are creating this problem you know these children in uh, next to Gaza are under attack not only because the Hamas are devils or the people who are shooting at them are crazy people there is a more a broader situation that um, create this and for example right now it is not happening it is not happening not because the people in Gaza are became better people now it's a political situation that that's what we're trying to do to show the concrete problem of the real human beings that we are working with to allow the spectators to have a zoom out to see what caused the problems not only what are the problems of the people and most important to break the wall the fourth wall of the theater and to invite the spectators to become spect actors and to intervene in the in the show to intervene in the scene to change to replace the characters and to take an action instead of them and if there is a character there is nothing to do in the scene so zoom out for us and create the character that can intervene in the scene and change the reality but don't um, don't give up and say this is the situation I'm a victim I've nothing to do in both sides so by changing the the reality do you mean that by um obviously it's almost like group therapy right like you come in and maybe through theater you kind of show people some perspective taking some you detach a bit you take your ego out of it you take your emotions out of it you see the bigger picture uh, maybe through encounters or maybe just through theater work with with fellow whatever and then you're saying if we really want to make change obviously it's all a political situation right so it's just by election right i mean I'm, I'm tell me if i'm wrong but on the palestinian side are there general elections for the for gaza and the west bank or is west bank democratic elections in gaza they're just like it's hania and and that's it like there's Both are no elections for for more than 10 years you know okay. so okay so Abbas is not doing his election because of the situation between israel and so there are no and in our elections you know what's the situation right. is Netanyahu is being elected again and again it's like 66 times already I mean it's endless I mean I, so so again to give people a sense of um auto, not autonomy but efficacy it's hard because you're saying let's say I understand I want to make change but if the situation is wholly political let's say I get it suddenly I changed my mind you know what I mean I get it the, these people I understand why they're doing it there's understanding 
But if they really have no control and they feel helpless in terms of changing the, the leadership and the political situation, then you feel helpless again. I mean, so how, you know, that's that's the, the, the problem. So let's say you change enough minds here and suddenly a left-wing party gets elected by some miracle that doesn't incorporate 66 orthodox parties or what? I'm so confused by all these. I mean, we have 20 Democratic candidates and I want to slit my wrist. But here it's like, what? So how do people get that sense of, of efficacy? You know what I mean? It's like, as I get older, I have a harder time losing weight, okay? I'll be honest with you. I got, after all these kids, my, I, got, I call it garbage body. I'm not shaming myself, but I used to have a six-pack. Now it's like a just doughy, and I'm doughy all over. Now, I don't... the same, and I didn't give birth even. Okay, so, and I don't... See, the problem is I don't go to the gym, so I'm not pro it. But let's say I started going... My friend, who's in the same situation, goes to the gym every day and is not fucking losing weight. So at some point, you know what I mean? It's like this learned helplessness, like the rat that you teach them learned helplessness, and even though they're touching the thing, they're not getting, you know, they're getting the whatever. You know what I'm saying. I'm, sometimes I'm not as eloquent. So how do you, you're saying change the reality, but the reality is that it's, it's virtually impossible, isn't it, to change the reality? But you were touching on a very important, uh, you were saying it, you know, very briefly, mm-hmm. and you were even, I could hear the ironic in okay. the usage of the word uh, ther- therapy or therapeutic. No, I, I mean, I, I love yeah, and I think no, the, it's more it's more important than that. I think that um, in theater, activism, art, and therapy cannot be divided; it's intertwined. And in our work, and if you say that people are so frustrated and they do the same action again and again and again, and of course they will uh, gi- l- uh, lose hope, and then they will return to their automatic mode of you know I'm a victim, there is nothing to do, and so on. So. I think activism and therapy are doing the same thing, are, are serving the same cause of, first of all, providing hope for people. That if you lose hope, uh, it's like, you know, uh, falling into depression, saying any action I would do will be useless. And the one of the, the things that is in common in aesthetics, in art, and in uh, therapeutic processes, and in activism, is that... You, first of all, you have to have hope in order to, to be engaged with this one of these three. Mm-hmm. And then what I think that combatants for peace uh, in general and the theater in combatants for peace in, in particularly is using these three, um, three, I would say, um, 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 factors or elements of theater when when we use when we need this we use this when we when we use uh, activism we use activism just in order to stand up and do something so i think that's um um very important when when activism is useless or it seems uh, uh, useless or hopeless so use something use some kind of activity um to bring people to to bring people into in a therapeutic process just in order to help them um, to stand up and not to fall into depression. But how would you suggest, um, let's say they do give them hope, but how do you think there's a way to change the political situation? Of course. Okay. Don't you? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm in a dark place now. The world is in a dark place right now. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. and these shootings now that happen now, I mean, it's... it's it, and I do feel I do feel helpless helpless at times. I call myself the hopeless optimist. You know what I mean? Like I want a better change, and I'm so people here want better change. I do I do believe that understanding others' narratives and sides helps. I think you are doing this this yes. because you still have hope. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I try and bring understanding, and I try and understand, but I also try and be realistic in terms of 
I love the theater. Well, you know, I love theater, but a lot of times it bores the fuck out of me. I mean, 90% of theater I see is too long. Too long. It's like Saturday Night Live sketches. It's always too long. But I do want to, let me just, before I continue with my helpless manifesto, I want to ask you, because I didn't know really what you do, to just ex- ex- describe to me the theater work that you guys do. What does it entail? Just in brief, if you can tell me what it entails, who do you target? How do you get to people? How do you get people involved? How do you draw them in? And then talk to me a little bit about theater of the oppressed, because I don't know anything about it. Uh, the Augusto Boa, I know he was a Brazilian, right? I like Brazilians. I like thongs. I like, you know what I mean? They're fun people. Uh, tell me what theater work you do and how you were inspired by Boa and what that means, theater of the oppressed. Where did that come from? Yeah, so um, as, I, as I told you, you know, my, my journey mm-hmm. in theater, in art, is so it, you have to uh, understand that it's part of my journey the transformation from conventional theater because i was a professional actor in repertory theater i was doing all this you know conventional theater for many many years i was uh, i believed in art i believe that i'm an artist i believe that this is something which is isolated from life it should provide aesthetic experience for people that will be um, transformative for them but not it not necessarily out of the artistic life and so on and so on. So when I refused to serve in the occupation uh, in 2000 and uh, I decided 2001, I actually did it in 2002. I was in jail for oh, wow. for a month. Okay. I was in jail for a month for refusing to serve. But then I was still an actor in, uh, in a repertory theater. But when I was released from jail and from being an officer of the occupation, I couldn't return to conventional theater, to repertory theater, to be to be to return to my role, professional role as an as a professional actor and director. So I tried to, to I started to search l- alongside beside the activism of against the occupation and convincing people or explaining the Israeli society that I'm refusing for the state of Israel, for Zionism, for the cause of as, as part of my patriotism, I'm, I'm refusing mm-hmm. to serve the occupation. So while I was doing this activism, purely activism, I was searching my way in theater. And then I, the first time in my life and the first time in my professional life, I heard the name Augusto Boal. I never heard it in acting school, in repertory theater. Oh, and wow, so okay. that's, yeah, that's what happens in Israel. So then I started to, I thought he was one of the, you know, Stanislavski dead mm-hmm. important people. And then I realized he's still alive, and I went to train with him, and I read his books, and I started to apply his method, which is theater of the oppressed, which is using theater, as I said, for as a weapon, as a nonviolent weapon. Kind of like capoeira. Yes, yes, in a in a in a way, but uh, okay. but um, but he talks about a lot about the you know the therapeutic element and the activist element of of okay. of, of theater, and then I started to apply it. In uh, first with Israelis, Jewish, and then with prisoners, with addicts, and so on. And then I started to apply it in Combatants for Peace because we um, founded the movement in 2005. I was already three years in the business of activism and theater. And I started to do it with Israelis and Palestinians, and I thought I saw that it doesn't integrate because the model of, of Augusto Boal is homogeneous. You are working with peasants. You are working with poor people. You are working with women. You are working with Marxists. You are working with... With a common ground. 
Yeah, and with, with the homogeneous group. And then my desire, my passion was to put Israelis and Palestinians in the same room because that's what we do in Combatants for Peace. And I started to do theater with them and it didn't, theater of the oppressed, and it didn't fit. So I developed what I call the polarized model of theater of the oppressed, which is working through the methods and the techniques and the tactics and the exercises and the games of everything which is from theater of the oppressed. But it has a special or unique application for working with conflicted groups. And then, for example, if we do a, th um, a checkpoint scene in the checkpoint, like a site-specific uh, theater, and the Israeli soldiers in the scene will be played by Palestinians and Israelis, will be mixed. The Palestinians who are trying to cross the checkpoint will be Israelis and Palestinians, and the audience will be mixed. So in the form theater, which is, you know, the, the core of theater of the oppressed, when people are saying stop in the audience and the spectators are saying stop and they want to replace the characters, the, the oppressed character, in our theater they can replace, Palestinians can replace the oppressed, the oppressor, Israelis can play, uh, they, they can uh, replace the Israeli actor, the Palestinian actor, so it creates a mix of a dialogue in action, I call it. And at the same time, there are many audiences here because the Palestinians in the audience are looking at the Israeli who is replacing the Palestinian character and the Israelis are looking at the Palestinian spect actor who is replacing the Israeli soldier and so on and it creates a lot of a lot of actions on stage in the aesthetic space a lot of perspectives and I think that transformative when you look at the reality or its representation on stage from different perspective it opens up uh, something. Because what we have in common, Israelis and Palestinians, is the dehumanization. The fact that we are in combatants for peace, we're all people who were willing to kill each other, to shoot at people that we don't know, as Avner is saying in, the, in our documentary, is something that when you are looking at, m at, various, at the reality from various perspectives, you're not only changing your mind, you are able to change your, your actual existence in, in reality, which means to change your actions. I'm just wondering, um, it sounds like role play. I mean, I like that. It just sounds like taking perspective taking, right? Role play and improv, and I think it, it you know. doing is role play as well. Yeah. I mean, we are two human beings speaking in, in reality from their real, but we are both in a role here. Absolutely. No, and I think in therapy and couples therapy, role play is very useful. Or when I'm trying to figure out my shit about my mom, Phelan, Casper White, and I, you know, I do role play with the therapist, even though she's a terrible actress. But it's still, obviously, it seems like the challenge is uh, getting people um, who are averse to this to cooperate. Like people that are doing it from the get go are already willing and open and interested. So it's like getting, it's like a dysfunctional marriage, right? which is abusive on both sides and people are cheating on each other and there may be punching holes in the wall and you want to go, one person wants to go to couples therapy and the other doesn't. And once they go to couples therapy, the other person just sits there with his arms crossed and goes, this is bullshit the whole time. So how have you been able to, and how do you access those populations? Like what would you do to do a site specific out of settlement, right? And get settlements, even on a hilltop settlement, like the hardcore you know, we call them extremists and get the 13-year-old who wants to stab, you know, um, a bunch of Israeli kids. How do you get them in a room? Or can you, or you're like, you know what, not worth the, too much, not worth the effort. It's, 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 you know, we're putting our energy into people. So tell me what your thoughts on that are. I think uh, you still talk about it as a binary, and I think it's a range. 
No, sure, I don't mean that. I'm just talking about the extreme examples. Like, is it possible, do you yeah. think, to get those guys in? When I'm saying that, you know, the, the Nazi Jews that are willing just to burn families and Palestinian families and so on, I don't believe that I can uh, engage in a dialogue with them. Even, I mean, regardless of Palestinians. So, and I worked a lot with prisoners. I, I know that there is a range, you know, there's this mental uh, disturbance of, of some of the prisoners that it doesn't relate to anything they went through their child, childhood and so on. But most of the prisoners that I've worked with, it's, it's the surroundings. I mean, they, if, they grew, if they would have grown up in different surroundings, they would never become uh, prisoners or criminals and so on. And I believe in any case, it's, it's... I think that's right in America, too. I mean, yeah. I, I, 100%, you know, I think, yeah. You see some of these people are shooting in schools or in, in, in public sphere, you know, people taking weapons. Right. <laughs> some of them, it's, uh, it's, you can see that it, any way in the world, if they would have done, do that, the atmosphere and the surroundings and the discourse around it, that if it is legitimate to hate and to use violence, then you will get these people who are doing, commit these crimes and, and so on. But what I'm saying that there is a range of people. I never say, you're convinced, come to my, my show or come to my workshop or join our movement. Th that's not the way we do it. We are trying to create all the time platforms to invite different segments of the Israeli society and the Palestinian society. So for example, it's true that uh, an activist theater, um, I would say a, a performance or a demonstration in a checkpoint, it's not for everyone. Is there good seating? Are there like seats or is it a standing no, room only? It's not, yeah, it, <laughs> it's a, sitting on rocks. Said, okay, well, but yeah. I'm saying that we have different platforms like the Memorial, Israeli-Palestinian Memorial Service. I don't know if you heard. I did hear about it happens at Rabin Square, right? Not in Rabin Square, in the, in the Park Ayalcon, okay. in the biggest park of Tel Aviv. Like the Rolling Stones, J-Lo just performed there. Exactly there, yeah. Precisely there. And it's, it's like we have uh, last, uh, we started with 70 people in a fringe theater in the south of Tel Aviv. 14 years ago, and the last one was two months ago, 8,000 people in the center of Tel Aviv. So first of all, and people said exactly what you were saying to me. You're preaching to the choir, people are, you know, mm -hmm. that this small fucking thing will not happen. You, I start cursing. I know, and I didn't say it in that tone. Your imitation of me is quite insulting. I'm just saying, but go on. So I'm saying that if you are serving some kind of a real need of people, it grows and it, uh, it serves and it, it meets the expectation of people that are not from the radical left. So we're, we're creating different platforms, radicals, mainstream ones. We're trying to talk to anyone who wants to go through this transformation, not only people who, say, who, are, who went through this transformation. So this mem once uh, annual memorial service, it's a very good example. We started with 70 people. After 14 years, we are 8,000 people. And it's something that is not considered as, um, you know, annoying or um, radical and so on. It becomes more and more mainstream, although it's exactly the same um, ceremony that we did 14 years ago. It's the same, the same components and the same structure, the same content and so on. I mean, I, I just think people are tired, right? It's exhausting. Conflict is exhausting, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure these kids that get drafted, you know, they're, they're going, it's hard for them. They're young. They can't even process these decisions, you know, and it's like, 
people are tired. I think conflict is fucking exhausting. And so I applaud that kind of work. I think it could be good to also, um, and this is just an idea. I'm not a therapist and I'm not, a, you know, a theater oppressor person. But if you have a pop culture, let's say, right, like, Netflix is the big unifier. You know what I mean? Like people that like Stranger Things, like especially in youth, because people, the youth. I mean, that's we have to target the youth, right? The people that are going to grow up to be extremist or hateful or desperate, and and so find that common ground too in these in these workshops. You know what I mean? As like an icebreaker, just a thought for one of these workshops. No, Instead of exactly, when I was relating it to a range, so I work with youth, Israelis and Palestinians. It's less politicized than working with uh, with adults. So we're working on more on the dialogical element of theater. You know, teenagers. If you put Israelis and Palestinian teenager, the first thing that they will say, he's handsome, she's handsome, and you know, just want to get laid. That's right. So then you have to, you have to work with this, not to say, politicization. You know, the Holocaust and yeah. the Nakba, and uh, let's see what the. Well, what the Nakba was? Did, tell me just for my listeners what the Nakba was. The Nakba is 1948. Our independence war. Oh, was that tragedy for them? Is it was a tragedy. It was the, the word is catastrophe. Like they okay. lost the old Palestine, the old their their okay. homeland, and it's a word that again doesn't right. It, it's those the big terminology that that um, that kind of feeds the resentment over time, right? When things are framed in a, in a certain way. Yeah, but it took me a lot of time to understand. I mean, it's about sensitivities. So um, so I'm relate to their catastrophe. If they see it as a catastrophe and they relate to it as a as a disaster and uh, uh, they lost their homeland, they lost their houses, and so first of all, it's a it's a fact that a lot of Palestinians became refugees at for, on forty right. in forty eight, and um, if I want to you know uh, to fight uh, or to rehumanize each other to fight against dehumanization. I have to be respectful to their perspective. Sure. I didn't mean no disrespect. Yeah. I was just, from a yes. cultural perspective, Americans like to kind of gloss over and make things nicer, especially in the South. Do you know what I mean? You get a mint julep and you don't you don't use words like catastrophe. This oh, is the word. Catastrophe, disaster. Yeah, not so great, unfortunate, whatever. There's lots of. Um, so where, what's your next goal? Like, you you feeling like you've peaked and you've, you're, you're in a groove now or do you have bigger sites? Like, what's your next aim with Combatants for Peace uh, taking it to the next level, so to yeah. speak. Uh, <clears throat> I think it is. Want some water? Take some. Want me to pour you some more water? Yeah. Let sure. me get. Yeah. You want to go grab it? In the meantime, I'll just talk about my life here. Um, had my first shawarma uh, yesterday. I think it's a uh, what is it? It's sheep? Is it made from sheep? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. Look, there's shawarma in New York. It's not like there's no shawarma except in Israel. But I wanted to eat local. Did not sit well with me, I'll be honest with you. Hummus has actually been fine. I thought the hummus would make me gassy, but it hasn't. But the shawarma did not sit well. Just a nice little interlude. I just like to keep it, you know, I mean, keep it grounded. Yeah, and you talk about food, so they, they keep up with us, yeah, right? Exactly. They stay here. So I want to relate to what you were uh, yeah. saying about um, people are tired, they lose hope, and they are... It's true. So um, what we, our task, our goal right now is uh, to connect people to their responsibility because I'm I'm tired too you know I'm exhausted I'm How old are you 50 Oh wow okay So um many years I'm doing this people asking how why you're not uh, you're not getting tired why you're not stopping why you're not taking a break and so on and the the real the real answer is that something inside me is really connected 
um, to some kind of a sense of responsibility, which is connected to the hi- my history, my personal history. Mm-hmm. I'm responsible for my grandfather, for my father, for the decision they made. Um, for my children, I have two children. Um, I have a daughter who was, uh, you know, she grew up in our house and she grew up in combatants for peace. She know. Unlike me, she knows she grew up with a lot of Palestinians around her. Is she going to serve in the army? She's 21 now. She she wanted to serve in the army until the last few months before the army, and then did she decided to refuse. She was in jail for 131 days. Oh, 130 days. It was all, almost a half a year in jail. Did, did Daddy help with that decision? Was daddy kind of slowly filtering, going, maybe you shouldn't serve? Or were you like, you do whatever you feel is right, honey? You do whatever you feel yeah, is what right. Did, what did you really tell her? I, I told her, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what our parents are telling us. In, in I know, text. but still, did, what did you say the I'm going to? The text was, you do whatever it feels right for you. But I believe that she got uh, a lot of subtext from me. <laughs> and a more I think more important is that she grew up with a, a lot of experience and knowledge and um, and experiences from the occupation, from Palestinians and so on. And when the moment arrived, she decided not to serve and she was sentenced to jail. And it was a whole year of struggle in and out from jail. Um, she gonna write a book about it? No, she's now actually finishing her second year in national service. She, her, she's part of a movement called Mesarvot, which okay. is um, refusing. Refuseniks, the feminine, okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, their their um, stand is to say we are for civil service. We want to serve our country. We want to serve our society. So now she's finishing. She, first year she did uh, in a, a shelter for women in Haifa, and now she's working with um, youth at risk in a, some kind of a shelter for youth in Haifa too. So she's finishing in the end of the month, right. two year of national service. I like that. I like that idea. I think that's beautiful. I do. I mean, look, I, it's tricky. I think that, you know, from a perspective of how do you, uh, how do you, you know, have an optimal mili- military, I'm a peacenik, but it seems like military is necessary around, I'm be naive to think that countries don't need, you know, protection and military. But I think that uh, it's tricky in the sense that I can't imagine Israel would have won those wars uh, without having everybody on board. The, the Israeli military at the time was so cohesive and, and so on board that that's why they, against all odds, I guess, or, you know what I mean, even when surprised, won. And today, it does seem tricky, and it's, I think it can fall apart completely, you know what I mean? And then that doesn't serve the country either because you got all these people left and right, you know, not following orders. So, no, but what I just want to offer you to look at what you're saying is that you have there's a deep anxiety in it, you know, you say that maybe if we lose everything, we will give up everything, we will be slaughtered, we will be killed. That's just to be aware that this is um, that you're speaking out of a deep anxiety, which might, as a question mark, Mm -hmm. might be not fully true. Okay, now I feel like I'm in therapy. I'm I'm anxious all the time. Well, I'm in therapy. I don't need it. I'm in it. And I'm my own therapist, too. And I read all this help, self-help books, and I meditate and listen to Pema Chodron, who's this amazing, Jack Kornfield, who kind of brought mindfulness to the West. I'm, I'm a yoga. I'm virtual yoga, even though I hate, hate fucking yoga. But um, I know you guys were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, which is amazing. I watched that documentary, which kind of, I loved it. It felt like a really cool action film where you're suddenly going to going into 
to the West Bank to meet the Palestinians for the first time, and you don't know what's what you're expecting on the on the other side. I mean, did they just email you? Did they send you like snail mail and say, "Hey, heard you're a refusenik. Come hang out. We got something in common." No, the first of all, the the film that you are referring to is disturbing the peace. Yeah. Uh, it's a documentary by Steve Apcon. And yeah, I was one of the people who drove to the West Bank, and it's part of the film, part of the dramatization of mm-hmm. this thing. And it was, uh, it was, you know, it's a film. That dramatizations are usually lame. I mean, yeah. and like footage, like black and white footage. You know what I mean? Ah, yeah. We will be kill- watching, guarding ourselves. And the passerbys are staring at the car. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, no. Get different extras for that scene. Yeah, but the, but I think the essence of it is true, and the the idea that ironically we didn't uh, connect directly at the beginning. How they, did they contact you, or you contact them? They contacted us through a middleman. I there's a kind of um, uh, Rashomon in the movement. Who was it? I remember it was a German reporter, but everyone says something else. The but uh, for sure it was a middleman, and it was European. Someone who gave. They're all the same. Yeah. Yeah, they're all the same. They're always... Uh, and their jeans are way too high, and I can't... You know what I mean? It's just the, the button down... To, anyway. But anyway, there was uh, some kind of... Um, of um, someone was uh, putting us together, gave the phone number of, uh, okay. you know, the organizer. Fun phone call to have. Hey, calling you from Ramallah. That happened. That's what happened. They said, talk to each other. You said, he's expecting your phone and so on, and they contacted and say, let's meet next week. I will bring some you know uh, ex-officers ex-warriors um, with uh, that refused to serve he said i will bring some ex-prisoners from the fatah who were in israeli p- prisons let me meet there and the rest is history now where do you get most of your funding from funds and private funding um for example for the memorial israeli palestinian uh, ceremony a lot from from Jews in the U.S., yeah. from organizations, from funds, from private donor, donors. Okay. But you have to do a lot of schmoozing and fundraising and be charming because that shit's probably annoying as fuck. That's very, very hard and very difficult. But uh, where there are shifts, you know. I did it for a few years, then, you, then some uh, other people are doing okay. this, but... But you guys are doing amazing work. I'm going to read Theater of the Oppressed. Uh, maybe it'll help with my dating life, too. And thank you for, for coming and explaining everything to me. And people can go on the web. Is there a website? And people can learn more about the organization? Yeah, they can go through the website. They should watch the, the documentary. They should uh, get into Facebook. We have Facebook in English, uh, Hebrew, and Arabic. And uh, we're open to um, to host people here. We have tours. We have a lot of activities, and we need a lot of support from the international community. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Um, well, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you. And um, please, you know, stick around. I'll turn on the AC, and maybe we can uh, chat some more. But um, it's been fascinating, and I've it's amazing seeing different perspectives. And I feel. I feel compassion for everybody. I really do because I talked to, the, like I said, I talked to that guy Iran about BDS, and I feel people's pain, and and people are just trying to do their best. I don't say that about everybody, but there are a lot of people that are just trying to do their best and coming from a good place, and I believe that about the Israeli soldiers that are serving. They're just trying to do their best, and they lose comrades and lose people, and and are trying to protect, and and it's it's hard. It's hard, and you know. Um, I hope that it c- finds some sort of solution, and it's amazing that you're doing your part in uh, in bringing that about. I think it's amazing. And maybe you do a site-specific one, you know, I don't know, somewhere in Manhattan. We'll do that. We'll see how that works. Uh, thank you, uh, Hannah Lone.
Thank you very much. And uh, this is Raylan Casper-Watt signing off.